is not going to work for me. I've got a, I got a bad stand. How's everybody doing tonight? You guys doing okay? All right, I got a bad stand here. Just give me a second. Um, oh, we'll give Stefan the bad stand, so then the music may fall off afterwards. That's going to be awesome. As if I speak as though Stefan's not in the room, but I'm sure he is somewhere. Um, my name's Micah. How are you guys doing? Everybody doing okay? Everybody all right? Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right. Let's get wound up here. I, I tell you what, I've had some kind of day. This morning started out, and sometimes I have days where I just like don't feel the mojo. You know, I just don't feel like, you know, all the synapses are firing on the right. L- last Sunday, actually, I felt like that. And it was just, those are, you know, you just got to press on. You just got to keep going. But this today, I'm telling you, this could get snappy. So um, get your Bibles if you don't have them. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Um, I've got, we, we, we've misplaced some of the offering bags, and so we've only got two tonight. So we're just going to pass these, and, and, and you just got to make sure they get to everybody. Um, if you're new, we'd love to know who you are and that you're here. There's a spot on the worship folder to do that. Uh, we pray for any requests that are, that are put in there every week. So um, please feel free to put those in there. Uh, and you know the rules at church, you know, put it in the bag, don't take it out. So there we go. Um, here you go. Uh, Steph, right? Right? Nice to meet you, Steph. All right, great. There we are. So, um, so we're in a series called This Just In. This Just In. This is good news. This is uh, earth-breaking, ground-shaking you know, news. And we're going to read a portion of it from Matthew chapter 5. This is week 5, in case, you, if, in case you're wondering. I think there's going to be about eight weeks in this series. So we're halfway there. We're over halfway there. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. I've had a blast so far. So this is Matthew chapter 5. Why don't you stand with me if you can, and we're going to read from Matthew, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now you have to remember before we read this, okay, the context is this. Jesus is getting some serious press. Uh, things are starting to, there's a buzz, you know, his synapses are starting to fire on all cylinders and he's doing some crazy stuff, healing people, uh, raising people from the dead, uh, driving out demons, all kinds of stuff. And he's teaching new ideas and new concepts with, with authority. And people are starting to say, Hey, whoa, what's the deal with this guy? Could he be the one? Because remember, the Jews were expecting someone. They were expecting God to come back to Israel to sort of save them, to redeem them, to restore Israel. And of course, they thought it would be in some sort of military or political fashion, and Israel would, you know, Rome would be kicked out and the whole deal. And so people are starting to ask the question, is this guy the one? Is he Neo? You know, is he the one? Uh, and, and so a huge crowd has gathered, and he begins to teach, and as a good Jewish teacher would, he sat down instead of stands up, as we do. So he sits down and he starts to teach, and this is what he says. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Pray with me if you would. God, as we uh, enter into this time that we've set aside to look at your word and to study it, to try to understand it, 
uh, and hopefully f- to, to try to uh, position ourselves in such a way that, that we, we want to say, God, uh, speak to us through this. Uh, so as we do that, God, would you honor that? Would you be good on your word that says that uh, your, your scripture, your word never returns void, but that it does its work in our lives? And we want that to happen for us tonight, God. Uh, for those of us who are, are risk, uh, who are crazy enough to say it, uh, have your way in our hearts and our minds. Um, challenge us to be more like Jesus and what that looks like and feels like and plays out like in our lives, God. So we give you this time. Pray in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. You can have a seat if you will. So Jesus sits down in the middle of a huge crowd of people. And he makes a very counterintuitive announcement about God and about the nature of his kingdom. He makes, uh, this is is not a teaching on how to attain God's blessing. This is not a list of things that we have to do in order to be blessed by God. This is not a new set of rules and regulations that will now guide religion and be the the, the fodder and the sort of the, the conversation around uh, how are we how do we determine who's holy and who's not how do we determine who's in and who's out this is not what he does in the sermon on the mount and in the beatitudes rather jesus sits down in front of a huge crowd of people and he announces something he 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 declares something about this god of course for them as the israelites this is yahweh the god of the old testament about this god and the nature of his kingdom, about the, the nature of the way things work in his economy, in his realm. And it's totally groundbreaking, it's earth-shattering, it's bizarro to the nth degree. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the weak, the, 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 the losers, the spiritual zeros, the bankrupt. Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you who mourn, for goodness sakes, who mourn, who weep and cry because something is broken or lost. Blessed are you. Of course, we've, we've determined to discuss that blessed, this idea of blessing, doesn't really mean like happy are you, as some translators would say. This has nothing to do with emotion. This has nothing to do with how I feel. But it's everything to do with what God declares about you and about us. He says, the favor of God, the I am with you of God, the God is on your side. Blessed are you who da 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 da. Okay? Now, the first four Beatitudes that we've discussed and studied so far, we've talked that these are, these are four places that God meets us. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, like you feel it in your gut, which I think had something to do with the off feeling we all felt last week, right, for those of you who didn't eat. Um, so this is, this, these are the places where the God of the universe, the creator of the world, says, I'm here with you in this place for those of you who are desolate and broken and who have given up hope and who maybe are broken. Jesus sits down in the midst of a crowd and he says, God is with you there. This is good news, gang. This is not more religion. This is not more everything that I have to do in order to get God's blessing. He moves on in this first of the last four Beatitudes. He says, 
Blessed are the merciful. And this, these, these four uh, that we're going to study in this last session, or last couple weeks, are, are essentially the places that we now meet God. So if in fact God has met you here in these places, then your response to the world, your living in the kingdom, your being a part of this family of God is, looks like this. And he begins with, blessed are the merciful, for you will receive mercy. So, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Which, to be perfectly honest, is a bit problematic, okay? Because let's think about this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Flip it around. Let's do the, the, the converse of it, right? If you're not merciful, you will not receive mercy. Couple this passage, you know, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, Couple that idea, this is just one instance where Jesus says it. So maybe, maybe he, he just, he, he ate some bad, you know, baklava or something. Uh, but if you couple this with a, a, a number of different places, I'm just going to note a few. Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? This guy uh, has a debt to the master. The master gives him mercy. He forgives his debt. Then this guy who's been forgiven has another debt. Uh, this other guy owes him, and he doesn't forgive him. And so the parable, essentially, at the end of it, Jesus says, this is how your father will treat you if you do not forgive your brother. So essentially, if you don't forgive your brother, God will not forgive you. Uh, in Matthew six twenty four, it says, if you forgive, God will forgive. If you don't, God will not forgive you. Galatians 6 says, a man reaps what he sows. Uh, Luke 6 says, don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And, of course, 1 John says, if you do not love, then you do not know God. A bit problematic. Is anybody else nervous at this point? <laughs> like, I'm hosed at this point. Um, I don't know about you all, but me, I'm totally up the creek without a paddle. I have, I have um, withheld forgiveness from people who had wronged me. I have withheld love from people who I should have loved. I have condemned or judged people who I should not have. And according to these passages, um, I'm, what's the median age in here? Are there any really young kids? You know what I'm saying, right? You, you can fill in the blank. I am in trouble, all right? And you are too, by the way. This is not just like, let's throw tomatoes at the pastor guy and make him the sacrificial lamb so we can all feel better about ourselves. You're in the same boat as I am here, okay? This is a bit problematic. Now, here's the deal. Because we've either, we've either done that. We, we've not forgiven or we've judged or we've condemned and we shouldn't have. Or, if you go, another, another option for, for feeling a bit nervous about this is that this sounds a whole lot like works theology, right? Like, if I do this, then I get this. If I forgive, then God will forgive me. And it's like tit for tat, you know, like it's like we've just gone into the dollar store or something. And if I do this, then I get some good and service. So how do we get to the bottom of this? If we just read the words on the page, we have a problem. And, and on a lot of different levels. And you know me if you've been around here long enough. Um, I want to press into this uncomfortable place that the scripture itself has taken us, and I want to try to uncover some things, because that's what we should be doing as the church. That's what we should be doing as theologians. And BT dubs, you're all theologians, okay? In case you didn't know that, like, newsflash, this just in, you're theologians. Um, 
People think that just the pastor, just the guy who's been to seminary, just no, 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 no. Some of the greatest thinkers of all the, of, of history have said that theology is for the church. We all think about, and theology broken down, theosology, right? It's about God and its study of, okay? So we, as the church, this is our task. This is our role. And so as we study the scriptures, I feel like it's part of my job to help that process, to maybe give you some thoughts or prompt you to think about some things in different ways that will help you become better theologians. So that's what we want to do tonight. We want to press into this place. How do we reconcile these things that are said in the Bible with things that we believe to be true, right? That we can't work our way to, to God's grace. We can't do anything to, to be forgiven. So we've got some, some dissonance here that we've got to get through. So allow me to offer a way beyond the impasse that we find ourselves here tonight. And I think we should start by asking some good theological questions. If we study the Bible, we should be asking some good questions. And one of those would be this. What is Jesus really saying when he said, merciful? Like, what's the word that's used? You guys, how many of you saw Lost in Translation? You remember that Bill Murray movie? I guess it won some awards. I never saw it. None of you did either. Okay. So, you know the idea, though, right? That things get lost in translation. This is 2,000 years ago or longer. No, it's about 2,000. I'm not a math guy. I just had to work that out. It's about 2,000 years ago that Jesus stands, sits down on a hillside and says this. So there's a word that was used in its original context that Jesus spoke, which is probably Hebrew or Aramaic. It was then translated into Greek and written down by Matthew in the New Testament. And now we get an English version, and the word that's been most uh, fitting or appropriate is merciful. So what was the original word and what did it mean? Are we losing anything in the translation? And oftentimes, the farther you dig or the, 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 the closer you get, you know, well, let's take it one more concentric circle. Okay, we can look at the Greek word. Let's take it in even further. Let's look at the Hebrew word and try to understand what did he say. So let's just start there. I've got a couple of thoughts, all right? Here we go. The word that Jesus used was a Hebrew word, and it was this word, uh, I think it's actually, we've got it. Now, you have to pronounce this with a good, you know, Jewish accent, and it's something like chesed, okay? It's kind of like German. You've got to get a little phlegmy, a little ah, in there. So the word that was used in its original context when Jesus spoke at first was this, this word. And one author uh, tries to define it, and he says that the best that we can get at this word is this idea. It's the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with their eyes and we can think with their mind and we can feel with their feelings. So the word that was used, we get merciful, okay? And we think all kinds of things when we say mercy, right? I think of playing bloody knuckles with my friends at school and you'd finally, when your knuckles were bleeding, you'd say mercy, right? And they would stop beating you. Um, or, you know, a, a common phrase, uncle, right? It's kind of the same thing. Like, I give mercy, okay? Uh, maybe there's other definitions of it. But in its original context, the idea was, it was this, uh, the ability to get right inside of the other person's skin. So I'm going to need a volunteer, and I was thinking about doing, doing this with, and I thought, you know, the only, the, the only person that this is really going to be appropriate would be my, my wife. And so don't worry, everybody. It's going to be G-rated. Don't worry. So Laura, come on up here if you would. So we're talking about chesed, chesed, right? Merciful. This is my beautiful, lovely bride of 10 years, everybody. Say hi to Laura. She hates me <laughs> right now. 
So, if we're going to think about this word, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This idea of chesed is essentially that for me, there's a couple options here, right? We've got two people, Laura and Micah, and I have my experience and she has hers, and I can either be merciful and try to literally get inside of her skin and see things from her perspective and see things from her eyes and feel things with her emotions, right? And and it's literally like this idea of almost entering their story, like walking in their shoes. Or the opposite of that would be what? Not entering their story or standing outside of or in opposition to almost and either in my mind or with word making some kind of declaration or judgment about what I see and experience right so there's two options I can either try to get inside of her shoes and her mind and see it from her perspective or I can stand outside of or even in opposition to and make some sort of declaration or judgment about what I'm seeing and experiencing, okay? You guys still tracking with me? Give it up for my beautiful wife, Laura. That is awesome. Honey, you did just great. Now, where am I? I've I've lost my place in my notes here. Oh, okay. So, if this is the idea of mercy, right? Getting inside the shoes of, walking a mile in, or, or getting inside of their mind, seeing it from their perspective... You have mercy and you have judging, right? Or the opposite of mercy, as we're kind of working with it here tonight. Now, the interesting thing about these two ideas is we would think they're diametrically opposed. They're opposites of each other. They're on other, you know, polar ends of the spectrum. But if you start looking in the Old Testament, you begin to see, uh, if you look for the word mercy, there's one spot that you'll find that's very, very interesting, and it has to do with the Ark of the Covenant, The Ark of the Covenant, of course, was where the Spirit of God rested and Israel would sort of carry around this Ark and it had all kinds of rules and regulations and everything. And it was believed that the the, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God was in this Ark, right? You've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark when the guy opens the thing and his face melts. The German guy at the end, right? That's the Ark, right, in Hollywood's version. Now, on top of the Ark, does anyone know what's on top of the lid of the Ark? The mercy seat. You win. The mercy seat. So it's believed that from the mercy seat, what happens? God executes both mercy and judgment. That God somehow in his godness is able to hold Two paradoxical ideas of mercy and judgment in the same hand and do them both. The problem arises when you and I assume the role and assume that we have the ability to hold mercy and judgment in the same hand and to execute mercy and judgment to stand outside of another and declare something that i see experience about their reality and our reality to judge 
I'm getting a little philosophical, but what I'm saying theologically is this. That role is God's and God's alone. It was never intended to be the role of the human to judge, to stand outside of another and make a declaration about what I'm seeing, experiencing, hearing, feeling. That's God's job, and it's his role. And he somehow holds the two together, and it's, the scripture says that God's heart is always bent towards mercy, and yet he is just and righteous, and will, and has, and will, and he has, is, and will execute justice and judgment in the world. So what does Jesus say to people who will be a part of the kingdom? What does Jesus say to people who have been found by God in the midst of their brokenness and lostness and depravity and and, and spiritual bankruptcy? He says, blessed are you, right? The favor of God, the I am with you of God meets you there. And now when you have experienced mercy, be merciful. This is your role. This is my role as humans. Adam and Eve, from the beginning, what did they eat of? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The ability to stand outside of and declare something about what they're seeing, experiencing in this reality. Jesus speaks and he says, Blessed are you who show mercy, who get in the shoes of the other instead of executing judgment, instead of making some declaration about that person. No, our role is to, to, to sympathize, to, to, to have compassion, to extend mercy, to execute mercy human to human, not judgment. So the question is, how do we live like this? How do we become people whose first move, whose disposition, whose inclination is always mercy and not judging. Because we have eaten from the tree. We are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, and our first move is to judge. Our first move is to say, foul, that's not right, you're wrong, you shouldn't do that. That's our first move. So Jesus says, blessed are you, who show mercy because you will be shown mercy. How do we become people who live like this, whose first move is towards mercy and compassion and love and fill in the blank kingdom values? How do we become people who do that first, not what we've inherited from Adam? Let me offer a couple of thoughts as we close. First, I would say this. We cannot be people. Yeah, everybody can extend mercy at some point. Everybody can do something that's merciful. Everyone can at some point, you know, enter the story of another and say, I'm going to do this. But what I'm really getting at is how do we become people who do this? How do we become people who, who this is a part of our DNA. This is a part of who we are. This is, this runs in our veins. If you cut me, I bleed mercy, not judgment. How do we become those kinds of people? I would say first and foremost, we cannot become people who give mercy until we have received and experienced mercy. This whole story climaxes, the pinnacle of it is, of course, at the cross with Jesus dying and then being resurrected. And what we see and find and feel and experience in the cross of Jesus and the story of the scriptures is a God 
who has mercy on us and who lavishes love and pours himself out as a drink offering for you and for me, even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our worst sin, even in the midst of our depravity, even in the midst of our lostness, God says, I am here with you now. If anyone who is in Christ, you can experience mercy and love and forgiveness. Jesus says, here I am for you. And we cannot become people who are merciful, whose first move is mercy, without experiencing and receiving mercy ourselves. And so I would ask you tonight, have you received the merciful action of God on your behalf that we see in the cross of Christ? This is, this is at the, the core of who we are as a church and what we're about. That there is a story about a God who created, and, and, and in creation things went wrong, and we ate from that tree, and now we, ju- we judge, we decide what's good and evil. We decide, and it's our deal, and it's broken. And obviously, if you've lived here for more than a blink of an eye, you can look around you and see that it is, in fact, broken. And there is a God who sent someone, something, a plan, a perfect plan to redeem, restore, and recreate, and take back what was his. Have you received God's mercy? The scriptures talking about, talk about believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. And it's essentially coming to the place where we say, I accept, I believe, I need that. And we all have to look ourselves in the mirror and have a hard conversation. And, and whether it's in the midst of crisis or whether you've done it in the past or whether you're not sure and you're just checking it out, that question remains on the table. We cannot become people who are merciful if we have not experienced and received God's mercy first. First John says that we know love because Christ first loved us. We, Paul, Paul says that uh, there, there is no one righteous, not even one. The Psalms say that our hearts are wicked and deceitful and no one can know it. Essentially what it's saying is who we are in Adam, as descendants of Adam and Eve, is just wicked like that's what we are bent towards and in christ he offers something new he says death to adam baptism is a picture of death to adam and life in christ so have you experienced and received that mercy i would say secondly that we have to recognize our position Those of you who are in Christ, who have said yes to Jesus and who are walking as followers of Christ. We're here. We have been raised with Christ in baptism and we experience his life in and through us. It's crazy. I know it it, it seems so bizarre. If you are not a believer in Christ and you're just checking this out, this may seem totally wacko. But that's just how it is. That's how it's talked about. We have received life in Christ. But here's the deal. We have to remember and recognize our position or our place, our where we have come from. In that being merciful means that I can never stand outside of another and judge and point and declare. I am always bent towards mercy. Why? Because Tiger Woods can't stand up and say, you're an adulterer. Anybody watch his little thing? We'll take comments about that after. Did you see what I'm saying? 
he, he can't say that. He has no platform to say that. Why? Because he's guilty of that. We cannot ever stand outside of another and judge and declare something about them because guess what? This is where we've come from. And before resurrection, Paul says that we live in between this, this bizarre reality of, of Christ and his return where we have been made new and yet we still fight and struggle with the old man and new man. Paul talks about language like that. So receive God's mercy experience God's mercy, but then recognize where we are and our role and our vocation, our job, our invitation that God gives us, that Jesus says life in the kingdom looks like this. Be merciful. I would say thirdly, uh uh-oh, there it is. (laughs) I lost a page. Uh, Thirdly, I would say this, and finally, Release what God has, has done and wants to do for the world. Um, here's the thing. God's heart is mercy. God's heart is towards forgiveness and grace. He is longing to show the world what he has done in Christ. And he, is, and, and, and he does so through the spirit of God which is at work in the world, in the scripture which he's given to us. And the third option is what? right here the church god desires to show the world his heart he longs for the world his creation to know what his heart is his bent his disposition and its love and mercy and grace and he's chosen to do so to reveal it to the world through christ in the scriptures in the spirit of god at work in the world and through this vehicle that sits right here in this room God desires to show the world mercy and he's inviting the church to literally be the vehicle through which he shows the world his mercy and his grace and his heart. Our ability to show mercy lines up with the very heart of God for the world. What God longs to do for the world can be executed through our hands and feet and voices and love and embrace and care and compassion for the world i want to show you a, a, a short video clip and this is a woman uh if you've seen dead man walking this is susan sarandon and uh the the, the thumbnail sketches there's a guy who has committed this egregious crime uh against the daughter of the, the couple that you're going to see and she is an, a, a nun a catholic nun yeah uh and essentially uh is trying to to find how do i respond in the midst of this polar opposite situation where I have the the killer and his family. How do I respond? So watch this real quickly, if you would. Happier man today. So what made you change your mind? Change my mind? What made you come round to our side? I wanted to come and see if I could help y'all and pray with you. Thank you. But he asked me to be his spiritual advisor to be with him when he dies. And what did you say? That I would. Well, we thought you'd changed your mind. 
We thought that's why you were here. No. How can you come here? How can you do that? How can you sit with that scum? Miss Percy, I, I've never done this before. I'm, I'm trying. I'm just trying to follow the example of Jesus, who said that every person is worth more than their worst act. It's a difficult road to walk, isn't it? Because there are people and there are things and experiences that have happened in our lives that were wrong, that deserve to be punished, that uh, hurt. And yet, Jesus' call, his command to those of you who are in Christ, mercy, to get inside of the skin to get inside of their shoes and walk a mile, to see from their perspective, to not immediately stand outside of and say, whatever it is, but to enter their story. And you can't judge from this position, can you? Because if you do, You judge yourself. Exactly. Gang, Jesus says some pretty striking things like this. And I don't think his intent was to say anything about soteriology, like how to be saved. I think what Jesus is getting at is this. Our ability or inability to show mercy is a validation of something that we have experienced or we have not experienced. Let me say it differently. I cannot experience the mercy and forgiveness and grace of God unless I repent and I say, I I am guilty, I am wrong, I need you. I can't experience God's mercy and grace and forgiveness unless I repent. And if I have truly repented then I can't stand here and say whatever it is I say about said person, whether it's a dad, a mom, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a co-worker, whoever it is, if I have experienced the mercy and grace of God and I have repented and experienced that, then I can't, in Christ, be this person. I have to be this person. Because the call of Jesus, the way of Jesus, is it's, it's, it's not up for negotiation. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me and if you're going to walk this road, then it's one that offers forgiveness and grace and mercy. Not judgment. God will take care of that. It's God on the mercy seat, not you and me. And so mercy is about letting go and giving God control. Mercy is about trusting his judgment and his justice and not taking it into our own hands. Mercy and forgiveness is about saying, God, okay, I'll let you handle that and I will just love and forgive. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean always reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that everything goes back to normal the way it was. Forgiveness and mercy doesn't mean that everybody's happy clappy. But you and I, if we are in Christ, do not have the option to withhold forgiveness. We do not have the option to withhold mercy. It is not on the table. Because you have received mercy. When you were poor in spirit and a beggar and bankrupt and a spiritual zero at the, at the end of your rope, what did God do? He says, I am with you there. Blessed are you. And so the challenge is this. Just cut right to it. Are there people in your life whom you have withheld mercy from? Where you have refused to get in their shoes and walk a mile in their feet? Because of whatever it is they said, whatever it is they did. Because you don't like them. Because they bug you. Because they annoy you. Because fill in the blank. Let me, as lovingly as I possibly can, and I can't stand here and say this to you tonight without having to have gone there myself, to withhold forgiveness and mercy is not on the table if you follow Jesus. <clears throat> and so I want you to, look, I want you to think I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and we're going to close with a couple of songs. And as they do that, I want you to think about what does it look like for me to extend mercy, to execute mercy, not judgment, for whoever or whatever situation you're thinking about. Because life in the kingdom is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense according to the world. It will go against what you naturally feel and what people around you are saying. They deserve that. You have every right to be angry. You have every right to withhold forgiveness. You have every right to say, no, I don't want anything to do with you. You are not your own. Nor am I. I have been bought with a price And that price was the cross of Calvary. And I have repented of what I can't do on my own, which is please God. And I have asked Christ to stand in my place and do so for me. And so now, forgiveness and mercy, by the Spirit's work in my life and heart, is my first move. And it's your first move. Blessed are the merciful, for they have and they will see and receive and experience mercy. And gang, isn't that what we really want? I, I don't know about you, but I, my wife, we were talking about this the other day, and she's, she says, I mean, what are you really, like, hoping for? What do you, what, what do you hope happens at the end? I, I really, really want to see the things that are broken in this world that have been pillaged 
and stolen. I want to see God take them back and I want to see him put them back together. And I want to see his hopes and dreams for this world happen. I want to see resurrection. I want to see people who have the bodies and minds and hearts that they were intended to have and created to have. That's what I want. And it only happens through mercy and forgiveness. It only happens through the cross and the work of Christ. And the world knows that to be true as you and I stand with them and say, I once knew a guy who sat down in the midst of a crowd and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who can't get it together. Who or what is it for you? Maybe there are people and experience of a person that you've withheld mercy and forgiveness from. I just want to challenge you to, to not step back from whatever it is God's doing in your heart right now. And I'm going to be done and trust that God will continue to work and speak. But let me just pray and enter us into this time of worship as we close. Jesus, you are everything we need and everything our heart longs for. Would you continue what you're doing in our hearts tonight? And and by your spirit, would you, just as a gracious and loving father and a caring mother, would you just wrap your arms around us and say, we have to go here, and I'll go with you, but we have to do some work on your heart. And God, give us the courage to trust you, to take steps in faith that you are good and that you do love us and that you do want the best for us, God. Be gentle with us, we pray. 